welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed, and uh, against his will, I have uh, brought on Dan. <laughs> Just Dan. Dan. He's got me bound and gagged over here. Dan Smots <laughs> from The System is Down. Um, so, you know, so say hello, Dan. What's up, man? How's it going? It's it's going well. Um, Always a pleasure. I know. I'm, I'm about to... Uh, record some bonus content for Dan, which, you know, if you join his Patreon, you can hear that. Um, but, uh, you know, my fee is going to be, I need an intro and outro, so we're going to do that real quick. I'm down. It's yeah. a small price to pay. It is. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to pretend to not be upset about the Saints losing. I'm going to pretend to care. There we go. That's all. <laughs> Just Here, tell me I'm so sorry for your loss. I, I am so sorry for your loss at the sports ball thing that you have issues with or something. I have no idea what you're talking about. It, that means so <laughs> much to me. <laughs> that comes from the heart, man. <laughs> I see. I used to be like you, and I don't know when the when I became my dad. I don't know when the switch happened, but it <laughs> did, and it's much easier to not give a shit. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Do you have kids? Not yet. We're trying. Uh, see, I am a dad, and I've been a dad for a long time, but I still haven't settled into that that dadness was, of sports balling. Is your dad into sports balls? Uh, a little bit, not not uh, maybe a hair more than I am, but very little. Also, that, so. that probably <laughs> that probably plays into it. My dad very much so into into college football. Um, house cleaning first. Uh, I got a new patron, uh, Brett. Oof. Mortarolo. Mortarolo. Motorola. Brett Motorola. Mortarulo? <laughs> M-O-R-T-A-R-O-U-L-O. Mortarulo? I like Motorola. Brett Motorola. I like Mot- Motorola, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, buddy. Um, enjoy the bonus content, which I can't get to load right now. So, <laughs> good time. <laughs> good time to join. Yeah. <laughs> when you, your Patreon's not working. Yeah. Um... What's been going on in your world? Oh, you know, the same old, just just trying to start out the year with a good, sweet bang of getting my uh, business together, um, trying to make some strides there, trying to make some strides with the podcast, and trying to make some strides with my personal well-being and things, and get things going on a good note for the beginning of the year. What's your business again? What's your day job? Uh, I am self-employed. It's called uh, Goulash Media and uh, Goulash Films. I primarily I do uh, wedding video, but I do videography for all sorts of different events and stuff like uh, pageants and plays and all sorts of things. And I do graphic design. I make jingles for podcasts and all all array of uh, media. Whatever you want, in media probably got you covered. Except websites. I, I technically can. But God, I hate doing websites. <laughs> Why? What's? It's just annoying. It's just, it's just so mundane and so tedious, and very little payoff as far as like if you're making a wedding video or something, you get to when you're done, you got this really cool thing that you get to give to somebody, see this great reaction with a website. It's like it takes weeks, sometimes months, depending on what they're looking for, and the payoff at the end is. Maybe a couple people go wander in every now and then and see that <laughs> nobody goes to websites anymore. So who cares? It's true. What's up? What? So I remember, um, man, I had another joke before that too. But I remember um, 
when the internet came out or whatever, or at least in when you know back in the angel fired. Oh, that when was Al Gore my, created the internet. When Al Gore created the internet, that was my joke. Was the my extent of HTML and web creating uh, <laughs> is my live journal page. You remember nice. you actually had to. Did you have a live journal? I don't think I had a live journal. No, I had a Zanga, and I remember Ooh. making a like an HTML crappy website. I, I took yeah. a a web design class in high school, and it was back in the days of like just copying and pasting code, and you'd get like maybe a little spinny image of like a flame icon or something. Yeah, and you could add some background music. Just terrible, terrible shit. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was awesome at the time. I I, I would just. I, dude, I would spend hours just going through hundreds of websites, and and yep. literally now I think I go to four websites. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. So a, a few people pegged down. We've got Facebook and Netflix, and that's about it. <laughs> I, I go to Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, mm-hmm. Imager, JoeBlow.com, Rotten Joe Tomatoes. What is JoeBlow.com? It's the move. It's my favorite movie website. Is it like reviews and stuff? Uh, news, reviews, uh, rumors, all that okay. good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Check it out. Cool. It's a good site. Plug Joe. This, this episode, episode brought to you by JoeBlow.com. <laughs> Thank um, you, Joe Blow. We know movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And now I, we'll continue to talk about things that have nothing to do with movies. Thank you, JoeBlow.com. <laughs> right. <laughs> I miss it though. It seems it's, there's just, there's nothing. I don't know. The, the internet sucks now. The internet does suck. You know what I miss more than anything? What? I miss MySpace. I'll say it shamelessly. I, I mean, too. What was some your song? of the? What was my song? What was your profile page song? Uh, I honestly don't remember. I listened to completely different things back then, so I oh, couldn't too. tell you. That's why I wanted to know to see how it might have been like it was. It might not have been something terrible. It might have been something like Newfound Glory or My Chemical Romance or something. But uh, solid choices. Yeah, solid I couldn't choices. say for sure. But I uh, actually, when I first started doing the design stuff, like for pay, I uh, started out doing like MySpace layouts. Like you could completely recode the back end of MySpace, so it would basically just it would remove all the MySpace things, and you could just cut out a section for the music player and all that. And I would sell those to bands, and uh, what? Those, were, those were good times. Yeah, it was basically like selling my website. Yeah, but it was all hosted through MySpace and free. Did did you actually like make decent money doing that? I did. I made a fair amount doing that. <laughs> Dude. And now we've got Facebook where the best you can do is design like a three inch banner. That's it. Like yeah. that's the most the most personalized that you can get on Facebook. MySpace was about me. It was my space. Facebook <laughs> is about we're just in this book of faces. It's worthless. I went to I actually like two days ago went to my MySpace and, and downloaded all my pictures from it. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was. That was. Yeah, you would. Were they all on. taken from a like a seventy five degree angle above you and even, eyeliner? <laughs> even even worse than that, it was Generation One. Okay, so you remember when the MacBook came out with Photo Booth and it was the same like four filters? Yeah, it was yep. all those. It was all <laughs> me in front of my laptop with headphones on in the same four filters in yep. like dramatic uh lighting <laughs> with the emo swoop the whole deal bro so they were just taken with your your webcam on yes. your macbook yep yeah just me <laughs> did you ha- did you like hold the macbook up at a certain angle to get that those pictures or no i kind of like <laughs> retreated into the back of the frame in like a uh, dark and brooding it, yes they were all dark and brooding and so cringy <laughs> yeah you that those were the days before the 
the upper angle picture that yeah. hides your chin because yeah. we, we didn't have the cell phones that took good pictures at the time. Nope. Yeah, we had <laughs> – you saw their uh, bringing the razor back? I've heard. I've heard rumor, yes. I don't know be, how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't either. It's going to be like $1,500 too. <laughs> Why? Well, they say that it's going to be a foldable screen razor. That's the rumor. Okay, so, so it's still a smartphone. It's just a smartphone that folds in half. I think so, and in, is encased in a razor case. So it's like, you know. Whatever. Pointless. I mean, that, that takes away the, the coolness of getting it, the the nostalgia, the nostalgia of having to use like T9 Word or whatever. Uh, like that's what – that's the only thing that would convince me to go back to flip phone is going back to a flip phone and yep. having the limits and not being drawn into the internet at any given moment of my life. Did you – were you uh, able to text in your pocket? What do you mean? So uh, – and it, they – it entered the zeitgeist when they did it, when uh, Matt Damon did it in um, The Departed. He uh, So with your cell phone in your pocket, you can text and you know what you're typing. <laughs> were you that good? I, I, I don't think I got to that level. point, though. I, I might have been able to, but I never I never actually tried. <laughs> I, you know, I'm gonna need you to get one and try it. It's, <laughs> it's important. They do the yeah, uh, the Nokia. There's a part of me that that wonders if like you can go back to something like that. If that uh, that muscle memory would still be there, like riding a bike uh, I think for the so. T9 word. Because I, I got fucking fast. <laughs> I mean, God help the you. Skills you that miss... pay off in life. Yeah, exactly. It's you know, I'm I'm I use my thumbs daily. <laughs> Yeah, you could have gone into a courtroom and been a stenographer from your pocket. <laughs> Absolutely, pocket stenographer. Um, so we're going to uh, get to the interview today. We have Jesse Harvey from the Church of Safe Injection. Mm. And what do you think, just based on that name, what the do you Church think that is? Safe injection. Would that be uh, churches handing out sterilized needles for free, that type of ministry? Very good, Dan. Uh, and even more interesting than that, so he is going for so the Religious Exemption Act with the uh, DEA. So like how some churches can take peyote and religious rites and some churches can take mushrooms and all that. So mm-hmm. there, there was religious exemption. He is going for that so that he can create uh, legally exempt areas where drug users can come and, and inject drugs safely mm. and yeah and it'll be under the religious exemption act which is pretty clever and i think it's actually an, a needed service but i'll let you i'll let him uh tell us for himself yeah i can't tell you i i, I know nothing on the, the matter so i can make it up if you want to just conduct the interview here with me i'll just pretend like i'm him oh. if you really couldn't get him on. <laughs> all right so we're here with jesse uh yeah. <laughs>
or yeah. whatever, huh? Yeah. Uh, how much? How like how many feet do y'all have? Two feet. How much? Um, two feet. Oof. Yeah, well, I'm down. Unfortunately, in... I, unfortunately, I only have until I only had like from seven to seven forty-five um, blocked out for this. Is that okay? Yeah. Well, well, let's just hit the ground running then. So, um. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, Jesse Harvey. Um, thank you for uh, thanks for coming on. Um, if you just want to kind of give a little brief uh, background into um, what you do, what you represent. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Jesse Harvey. I am with the Church of Safe Injection, which is an interfaith church um, dedicated to uh, improving the health and wellness of uh, people who use drugs, as well as to improving public health in general. Uh, through specifically through harm reduction programs um, that are shown to work, that are shown to reduce the incidence of uh, bloodborne disease, that are shown to, when paired with naloxone, you know, reduce the incidence of otherwise fatal drug poisoning, and also uh, programs that are that are actually shown to have some positive impact on the person's help-seeking behavior. You know that that. It does. Contrary to popular belief, it does not enable the person, but actually uh, provides them with with just sort of one more option to improve their health and wellness. And and often we actually see people um, stop using drugs or move in that direction through a needle exchange program. Right. So, what's your? How did you get? Um, so you're in recovery yourself. Yeah. When, yeah, um, in, so I moved. I moved to Portland, Maine, for for recovery a little over three years ago. And uh, three months into recovery, I started working in um, in the neighborhood of Portland that houses a lot of the services for people experiencing homelessness. And uh, then I became a community health worker. Then I became the peer support coordinator on an integrated behavioral health treatment team. And so all along, I sort of got to learn more and more about harm reduction and, and other evidence-based uh, interventions for, 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 the, for treatment or harm reduction or recovery supports uh, for, for people with substance use disorder. And when it comes to recovery supports, I actually, uh, a little over two years ago, I opened, uh, I opened a recovery house here in, in Biddeford, Maine. Uh, that one has since closed down, but along with my partner, Eric Skillings, uh, Crystal Law and our board of directors, we've gone on to open five more houses. So I, I think it's it's interesting, you know, people sometimes see me and see the church and they think, um, oh, well, this is coming from the same person who also offers recovery support services, you know, and, and it's it's this idea that meet the person where, where they're at if they want recovery, if they want to live in a sober house, if they want to stop using drugs 100%, then uh, the system should meet them where they're at and should, should offer them that, should offer them recovery houses. But for for anybody who's who, who doesn't want to do that yet, or maybe they do want to do that, but they just physically can't bring them bring themselves to do it because of the shortage of, of detox and, and treatment resources, especially in the state of Maine, um, meeting them where they're at is uh, is just the, the, the logical and the humane thing to do. How how did you end up getting sober? So I was actually involuntarily committed. Um, ah, me too. Nice. Uh, 
Yeah, Section 35 um, in, in Massachusetts. Uh, Bridgewater State Prison had a, had a facility that I went to, and that was actually the fifth time that I had been involuntarily committed. I, before that, I had been involuntarily committed under two other sections of the law in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania. But, you know, something sort of clicked that this, this fifth time, and I think it was having access to um, peer support. You know, even though it wasn't like formal or paid peer support, I, you know, I was in a pod with 50 other guys all sharing, sharing bunk beds and, and, you know, marching to the, to the chow hall every day for, for lunch and dinner. But nonetheless, you know, I got, I got peer support from, for, from all of them. It, whereas for the months leading up to that, I had been alone in total isolation using drugs and trying to end my life. Um, what were you, so I, so I, I attribute, what were you, you using? Know, I'm sorry. I was using, um, a lot of alcohol, methamphetamine, and benzodiazepines mostly. I used a lot of heroin and fentanyl, uh, and I, 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 I injected them, uh, but I just never, I never got hooked. Uh, and actually, towards the end of my, towards the end of, of my use, I, I was buying acetyl fentanyl uh, off of the, off the internet, getting it mailed to me, and I was smoking this acetyl fentanyl off tinfoil um, up to ten times a day. Yeah, that'll do it. So, yeah. what? So you started. I don't, so, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why I never got hooked. You know, it's it's. Um, I've always wondered why I didn't. You know, and I've also uh, I've also always wondered how some people can just uh, turn down alcohol. You know, whereas I really could not. Um, it's just interesting. You know how, how different different people's brains work. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that... But so I've I've brought so I bring myself back to you know I. I like my personal experience, I try to bring myself back there and think, okay, well, just because I didn't get hooked to opioids, you know, but I did get hooked to X, Y, and Z, you know, really, I think, um, uh, allows me to, allows me, allows me to talk about implementing programs for not just opioid use disorder or alcohol use disorder, but substance use disorder in general. I think one of the serious uh, flaws with the, the current paradigm is that it's becoming way too heavy on uh, op- opioids and, and heroin and fentanyl and opiate. And, you know, we, we don't, still don't really have many good uh, a pub- public health and medical interventions for other sorts of addiction. And um, this naloxone, you know, naloxone is great, but it's obviously not going to work for uh, acute methamphetamine poisoning, for example. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then especially with how popular benzos, I mean, they've always been kind of popular, but Xanax is huge right now. Adderall is getting huge again. Um, and then mm-hmm. al- alcohol is still America's number one. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I was, well, like I'm sure it was, it was meant to kind of sort of be, um, not inflammatory, but get your attention, but the church of safe injection, that's a pretty bold name. So is it, so in my understanding, you were, you're going for the religious exemption, act right for yes. the yeah it was that the intent did the which came first that idea or like you wanted to start like is there any religious basis or is it just by name sort of yeah thing? yeah so so it's a little bit of everything that you just mentioned uh we are an interfaith church um of, uh now 22 branches across nine states and um uh when i first came up with with the idea it was 
recognizing that people uh, who use drugs, as well as their their friends, their family, their allies, had previously made made comments to me, and, and I've, I've heard people say like, drug users aren't really welcome at my church, or I use drugs and I went in there with track marks, and they pretty much asked me to leave. You know, so so there's this idea about creating a church that's a safe place for for all people, not just not just drug users. Um, but then parallel to that, at the same time, I started to realize, oh, you know, there, there's uh, there's quite a bit of case studies out there on securing religious exemptions um, to the Controlled Substances Act for otherwise Schedule One drugs. Yeah, and do you is it is there any implementation of like any services or anything? Is like any uh, like do you prescribe to any particular faith or no? No, we have three sort of uh, requirements for any for any branch of the church that wants to start. Number one being that they uh, support all, all marginalized people, not not just people who use drugs, but our, um, our you know people of color, transgender folks, immigrants, uh, whatever whatever it may be that really recognizing intersectionality. Um, the second thing being that. It's a church. The second pillar being that it's a church uh, that it is interfaith. That it will always be explicitly interfaith, allowing for uh, all people of all faiths, including atheism and agnosticism, to to come to our church. And then the third point being that specific, you know those first two are very broad. So the third point is really that to to be a church of safe injection branch, there has to be specific uh, attention devoted to harm reduction. Um, such as syringe exchange, naloxone distribution, advocating for those things, creating safe injection sites, and to varying degrees, our 22 branches right now uh, do sort of different things. Uh, uh, some some doing almost everything I just mentioned, and others just sort of uh, still still getting off the ground and mostly doing a lot of just Facebook uh, posts and advoca- advocating like that. Yeah, no, and so as a so I was, you know, one of those users that uh contracted hepatitis C from using a dirt a dirty needle because I couldn't, mm. you know, didn't have access to clean needles. I since went through the the treatments for it, but um so yeah, that's that's that hits personally home for me mm. and um so I'm from South Carolina and it was uh legal there or at least there was at least you know the the places that every junkie knew you could go to buy them but in Louisiana when I moved there it was an act you know you just could not get uh clean needles um and it's only been in the past like I don't know four years that um pretty much people like you it's uh there was it's kind of like an urban legend like this card was circulating around the junkie communities with a phone number and it was this lady and she would come bring you a, a kit with needles and cooker and, and the clean deal and all that mm. and Do you know just, her name by any chance is it I, the urban survivors i don't i don't i i'd be lying if i told you her name right now. i can't remember i want to say donna maybe oh okay yeah i know donna um well, so you know what's interesting is obviously across all the different states, there's sort of a patchwork of very different laws, some that are much more hostile to, to some of these evidence-based public health interventions. Um, Indiana, for example, which is where there was the, the massive outbreak of HIV uh, during uh, during Vice President Mike Pence's uh, time there as the governor. Unfortunately, 
also, I don't know if you or, or your listeners are familiar with this story, but ultimately after HIV cases were, were really popping up at, um, out of control in, in Indiana, they did implement short-term needle exchange uh, programs. And unfortunately, recently, uh, I just read these programs were sort of phased out or allowed to lapse or, or expire now that the uh, now that the HIV epidemic there is is under control, as they put it, you know, so but it's, it's just so it's just stupid. sacrificing. It's just sac- yeah, it's just sacrificing further improvements in public health for the purposes of of what you know, sticking to this just say no sort of in, industrial complex um, brainwash, you know. Yeah, and and what uh, a quote of yours that stuck out to me, which which as a Christian I just absolutely loved, was that you said Jesus would would be at a needle exchange, uh, and I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean that is uh that's that's really um that was that's been the the impetus and us me starting this podcast is like yeah, I mean we these are the people that he would be hanging out with, these would be his best friends, and these would be the people he would have the most compassion for, um. I, I imagine you've gotten some, like what kind of pushback have you gotten and what kind of success have you had? Yeah. You know, the, the, the immediate, immediate pushback is that a lot of the uh, organizations that I was previously working with or whose meetings I was being invited to email listservs, I was being included on all of a sudden those all just dropped off. You know, I'm no longer invited to those meetings. I'm no longer sent those emails and, uh, that that's tough, you know, because some of it is is really important work that I would like to participate in. And now, uh, being trying to put myself on the front lines to advocate for some of these what some people would call more radical uh, it, public health strategies um, has sort of has sort of burned some of those bridges, you know. Uh, then of course there was the the law enforcement response, and there was the but even more disturbing than the law enforcement response, the, the Lewiston Police Department telling us that the syringe exchange I was doing there was, was illegal and that they would uh, have to arrest me if I if I continued to do it. Even more disturbing than that, that that law enforcement response. And I can understand the position that law enforcement were put in. But what I can't understand, and I don't think any person can can excuse, is that the main state CDC uh, really had the opportunity to, to sort of weigh in on what the Lewiston Police Department was going to do. The main CDC had the opportunity to interpret the law and say what the Church of Safe Injection is doing, what Jesse Harvey is doing is considered legal because he has he's a secondary exchanger. And there's a there's a there's part of the law here in, in Maine that says if you're a secondary exchanger and you have a card stating that you belong to uh, that, that you that you're registered with one of the sanctioned needle exchange programs, which I am. I'm, I'm, I'm I have a card showing that I'm uh, that I'm registered at the Portland needle exchange, and I also have another card saying that I'm registered at the Bangor needle exchange, and I, I serve on the board of directors for the organization that provides that in Bangor. So I. I, I went into this thinking, thinking, really hoping, you know, that the main state CDC, the organization entrusted with promoting public health, I, I really ha- had no idea uh, and was really totally blown away that they would uh, that they would so recklessly throw away the lives of marginalized people so that they could what just 
hold on to their power a little bit tighter, you know, and, and continue this crazy system of only five of Maine's 16 counties having access to to sterile equipment and and naloxone. That's just absurd. It's it's unconscionable. It doesn't. It doesn't make. That's what I was going to ask too. And I guess the answer is to hold on. Hold on to power. It's like what. I don't understand the reasoning, and it it really might be something that generations are going to have to die off, and people like like you are going to have to assume the you know the the positions of power for things to actually change. I hope not. I hope. I don't know. It it doesn't make sense. Have you have you had like good success stories with people that that you can you know present or just? I mean, obviously, if you're continuing to do the work and it's expanding, that that it's working. Yes, so we keep we keep uh, record of all of all our exchanges, all our interactions with folks, and I can actually pull up the number to tell you exactly how many syringes we've distributed. But you know, during during some of these uh, during some of these um, interactions with folks, it might come up that they really want treatment, or that they really need a ride to treatment, or that they're looking for uh, a medication-assisted treatment program. And those are the things that, that, that we can do, you know, out, out of the church, out of the back of our vehicle, over the phone, whatever it is, wherever uh, wherever we're meeting people. And that's exactly what harm reduction is, right, is meeting people where they're at, both phys- physically and sort of mentally and socially and intellectually. Right. Right. Um, what's your... You know, I'm I'm trying to just you'll you'll just tell me when you have to uh, when your time's up. But what's your what is the plans for the future? Um, yeah, so the I want to tell you our the total numbers though that we have currently um, across across the main across all the, the the locations here in Maine. We've in the past five months since I started doing this, most of uh, we have distributed, we have exchanged 3,240 syringes uh, during a little over 150 uh, unique interactions with, with people. Uh, and, and not all 150 of those were to, to exchange syringes. Some of them were, in fact, just uh, people who wanted naloxone, Narcan. You know, one of, the, one of the craziest things was that the very first night I did this, and I publicized it on Facebook and stuff, the very first night I did this, Several of the people who came out were not drug users, not even necessarily close friends of drug users, um, but just really wanted to have naloxone because they 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 were around uh, opiate opiate overdose from time to time, and they just had no idea where else where else to get this medication. And wow. sure enough, about a, a month later, I tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody trying to get this medication. Instead of just relying on the, you know, several hundred doses of naloxone that I had stockpiled up, I said, okay, I wanna, I'm gonna ask my primary care doctor for a prescription for this. And so I was, I was given a prescription for naloxone. I went to the pharmacy and I was told, okay, it'll be 70 bucks. And I said, well, what about my insurance? He said, yeah, ins- insurance covers 60. You still have to pay 70. And I said, oh, wow, is there anything cheaper? And he pulled something out. I said, yeah, this one will be $5. And I said, okay, I'd, I'd like that one, please. And then he said, okay, well, you're going to need to go back to your doctor and get a new prescription for this one. And I walked out of the store thinking like, wow, that's precisely the kind of barrier to recovery that, that we hear about so much, right? But it was only a few hours later that I realized, wait a minute, there's now a standing order in Maine for all pharmacists to be able to dispense this medication 
without a prescription anyway, you know? So like this guy didn't know that, you know? And then a month later I get a letter from my insurance company saying, sorry, we, we couldn't pay the full amount for this medication that you tried to get last month. If you need help now, come on, please call, call this phone number. And I was just thinking like, what about the, the parents of, you know, of, 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 of a, of a child who was using and who died. And a month later they get this letter in the, in the mail saying, Oh, that'd be awful. Know, it's it's the same thing yeah. with and I I now work in the treatment industry and it's there still is not the you know Medicaid uh, Medicaid is helping things I don't know what what they have in Maine but um Medicaid around here is helping things a lot of the treatment centers are taking it now but still it's like I can finally um when people call me, they need to get a treatment. You get that one day window when they're begging for help. Yeah. And then it's like, okay. And now you find a place and it's like, all right, you're covered. You know, it's going to be a $5,000 intake fee. And it's like, if I have $5,000, mm-hmm. I'm going to go shoot dope. I'm not going to treatment. So it's like, yeah. that's still the biggest. And I, you know, I'm, I'm throwing out problems. I definitely don't have solutions yet, but yeah, it's, it's, it is a struggle. And I, I think what you're doing is great and people, it, it really is doing away with the, you know, pretend like it doesn't exist. And it, it it's like I, people are, it's almost like they think they're endorsing it or encouraging it with injection sites, but it's like, you're not stopping anything. They're still going to do it. They're just going to use toilet water in a, a sewer. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, very very frustrating and i can i can imagine you on the the front lines of that as well yeah in in summer in closing there's two things really that i want to say for 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 your listeners the first being that uh i've sort of only gradually over the past three years of my recovery and uh professional experience i've only gradually sort of come around to understanding harm reduction and now I, I, I do so, and I promote harm reduction services unapologetically. You know, I think they don't, they don't need to be slowly integrated over time. They need to be immediately validated and implemented right this second, you know. And what I've, I've really, a way that I've come to see this issue and this, this problem of, I don't call it an opioid epidemic. I call it an epidemic of poorly treated or mistreated um, uh, substance use disorder Um really trying to shift the blame back onto the, the public health infrastructure that, that has failed them, you know? Uh, so w- w- when looking at all the research, you know, suggesting that medication like Suboxone works, that recovery houses work, that harm reduction works, it's not enough then to see politicians saying like, oh, like we're all on board with Suboxone now, like let's bring it into the jails and into the prisons, you know, like that's great. And it should be there um, because it's an evidence-based medication, uh, same, same as any other that's, that's prescribed in jail or prison. But, you know, are the politicians and are the people in power doing that because, but because Suboxone is an evidence-based practice or are they really only doing it because it's politically convenient? You know, because if they were doing it because it's an evidence-based practice, then they should also be doing harm reduction, including widespread access to naloxone, syringe exchange services, and even safe injection. You know, but it's, I, I don't think we deserve to call ourselves an evidence-based system of care uh, for people with substance use disorder. It's, it's, it's a politically convenient one, you know, now that enough white people have died. Yeah, that's that's it. So, where can people find you? Where can they support the cause? Yeah, thank 
to uh, so facebook.com slash safe injection is our is our main website and then we have a gofundme gofundme.com slash church of safe injection main m-a-i-n-e gofundme.com slash church of safe injection main and all uh, all monies donated through there would go directly to uh more to, to purchasing supplies including naloxone sterile syringes alcohol uh, wipes cottons cookers tourniquets the works awesome well i will i will put those in the show notes and um jesse thanks so much for coming on uh thank you for doing what you do and um yeah maybe we'll uh, get together in the future buddy yeah that'd be great thank you for having me on all right thank you have a good night you too bye Starts up again It's me and night We wait for the sun The kids and drunks Head back inside Well there's lots of smart Ideas in books I never read When the girls come talk to me I wish to pretend like you listened to the interview how what did you think dan i thought that was an amazing interview uh jesse had a lot of great points and i think the stuff that he's doing is heroic and um uh as a libertarian i'm all for figuring out ways or loopholes around government bullshit that was actually okay of all the uh segments where i make people blindly guess about the interview you (laughs) nailed it bro like yes those are actually all very good points uh boom He's doing really, really, really good work. Um, legalization for it? I am for legalization, yeah. And we're 100%. talking everything. I'm saying everything. I'm saying uh, there might be some issues with it, but I say let's give it a shot and see what happens. If people start killing themselves in the street, if people don't know how to you know, actually take care of themselves, if people can't think for themselves, then maybe we'll figure out something from there. But we've never tried it here. We've never... You know, we've never made it accessible and said, here, figure it out for yourself. And like for me personally, I would say legalize it and spend if you're going to – well, taxation is theft. But if you're going to take my money and put it towards something, put it toward educating people on what these things are going to do to their bodies and then let them decide for themselves. Right. Very good. Yeah. Uh, you know, are you running for office and when? <laughs> I am never running for office ever. <laughs> <laughs> there's about as much chance of me running for office as there is me being a pastor well that's a high chance i'd say my dad was a pastor and he said he would never do it so i should probably uh should probably be careful there all right so i wanted to uh bring back a, a good today i learned segment uh t-i-l uh dan are you familiar with the great molasses flood also known as the boston molasses disaster no, but it sounds <laughs> hilarious. It, it and yes, it's hilarious. Sounds like a, a hilarious southern disaster. Yes, well, hilarious <laughs> and awful. It turned yeah. out to be awful. So, 
Uh, all right, molasses is the uh, like the raw product you get when you're processing sugar cane or sugar beets, right? It is like tar, crazy, crazy sticky tar, awful shit. Mm-hmm. If you've ever gotten syrup on you, it's worse than that. You know how sticky it is. So on January 15th, 1919, uh, in the North End neighborhood of Boston, a storage tank filled with 2,300,000 gallons of molasses burst and sent a tidal wave of molasses through the streets at 35 miles an hour. Holy shit, boss. (laughs) All right. 21 people died. It sounds like something that would be in a B movie and right. hilarious, like definitely right. not a real thing. But they they said like the the quotes from it are awful. Where so the 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 air the shockwave from the initial bursting of the thing said that quote people were picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. Uh, what the hell? Others had debr- a rush of air too. A rush of air because it apparently like it, it, it was- like exploded. Right? Oh jeez! And then if the shockwave is, or if the 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 sweet sugary uh, tidal wave is moving at thirty five miles an hour, it's pushing air out. They said the most awful thing was that people would just, when they were surveying the damage, they would just see uh, shapes in the sticky goo, just kind of like struggling, trying to like like flies oh on sugar traps. Yeah, they said one horse disemboweled himself trying to free himself from the molasses so he was stuck to it and he jerked himself off and ripped his own stomach off that is beautiful is it that's <laughs> that is some true history for you wow. right there that's the, my kind uh, of history yeah the great molasses is it, flood is it too soon to make jokes about the great molasses flood of 1919 i mean uh depends what you got Nah, I don't have anything. I mean, it's a joke in in and of itself. I don't really feel like I have to say anything. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so sugar kills, apparently. Um, Mm -hmm. Jeez, dude. That's nuts. Uh, I can only imagine the modern equivalent of that. Like, (laughs) crazy. Um, I'm trying to think of a good pun. There's got to be a good pun in there. There has to be. Uh... I was gonna say sweet victory, but that doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> sweet, sweet surrender. Um, sweet defeat. Uh, boy, I guess the dentists were right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the dentist had a barrier around his uh, yes. his dentistry, his office, and that was the only place that was unscathed. Unscathed. Yep, that'll work. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, so, Dan, thanks for uh, being held hostage um, and uh, doing the little. Uh, intro outro send us an email church and other drugs at gmail.com join our patreon like mr uh, motorola and uh get access to all our bonus episodes um we got some good uh episodes coming up next week we're going to talk about um me and this gentleman mr nick lucky they got into an argument on facebook about demons and uh, i'm gonna let him uh you know give his opinion sounds cool mine's gonna be better